not me. I wasn't affected by COVID-19. No way. No way, no way, no way. Of course I missed my friends. And it was difficult to be alone in my house and not see anybody for over a year. But I'm good. Back at it. Going strong. Couldn't be better. Well, this is what I have to say to that. Pish, 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 pish. First of all, everyone has been affected, good, bad, or ugly, by COVID-19. Some more than others. But you had to be, unless you were a robot. And then I think even then. It just depends on what degree. My next guest, my next awesome, ugh, incredible guest, sheds light on COVID-19 anxiety syndrome, what it is and how we can deal with it as a caring, compassionate society. We're in this together, people. It is real and like I said, it has affected some more than others and the transition of going back into school and work, it is a big deal for many, but we do have answers. I love listening to him and wait till you hear how he answered the questions, the incredible questions that you all sent in. Oh, I'm so excited. As always, please rate, share, support us on Patreon. We are so grateful for you. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Okay, my let's keep it real people. I have been looking for this interview. I cannot tell you how long. I think my business manager, Megan, may have stalked him because of this amazing article he wrote. But before I bring him on, let me tell you all about Mark Antonio Spada. He is professor of addictive behaviors and mental health at London South Bank University. He has been researching the COVID-19 anxiety syndrome. I know people, we're here to answer all your questions since the beginning of the pandemic in spring 2020. Welcome, Mark Antonio. You've been a busy man, haven't you? Hi, Sandy. Yes, it's it's been particularly busy over the last over the last few months, two three months. As you said, we've been researching the this idea, this construct of the COVID nineteen anxiety syndrome for a year, but it's become prominent. It's risen to prominence mm. as the pandemic has been ending. That's right. Yes. Yes. I know. We have we over here in the US, they're like, "Oh my god, ask them this and ask them this." But before we get into that, every one of my guests, I say, and which I probably can guess one of your words, in the past 30 days, what's a word that would best describe how you feel? Any word and why? Confused. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> okay. Give it to me. Why confused? I am confused, which I tend not to be, because um, of what's been going on with messaging. 
mm. which is linked to the COVID-19 anxiety syndrome. We in the UK, but in many other European countries, we've had lots of fear messaging surrounding the virus. Some of it may be founded, but other elements of this messaging not founded. Then it's mixed. Everything is okay. No, it's not. Uh, cases mm. are going up, but they are not lethal anymore. There's, there's the alpha, the gamma, the, the beta, the delta yeah. variants. And so I'm left in the state of, of confusion like many, many people I know. Yeah. And um, it's been, it's not been easy. Yeah. And if you're confused, what about the average person? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is not good. All right. So let's just back up a little bit and then we're going to address those issues because I always say that I, even in my field of mental healthness and uh, well-being and fitness, I sometimes get so angry with all the messages they send out there to the average person. I think if I was them, I would just sit down, have a beer and eat ice cream because I'd be so confused on what to do. And this is way more serious. So, okay. What made you go here? I mean, why did you want to, you know, start going down this path? I mean, I know you definitely, this is your area, but what led you to characterize this? Yeah. So together with Professor Anna Nikšević at Kingston University, last April and May, by that I mean 2020, we started wondering whether some of these behaviors that uh, were recommended by the government, such as you know, avoiding public transport in public places, checking, cleaning. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember there was a big emphasis in the UK on cleaning your hands and sort of yep. staying alert and monitoring threat. We were wondering whether over time, if they continued unabated and unquestioned, they could become almost maladaptive, unhelpful habits over the course of months. So although washing our hands a lot may have been helpful at the beginning, though there's evidence showing that maybe the virus is not transmitted by touch, for example, but, you know, let's assume we did a lot of these things, avoidance, monitoring for sort of dangers in the environment. Uh, are, are, do, do people look ill? Should I avoid them? Are they coughing? And then listening to the news. Maybe those things helped us at the beginning, but they've been going on a long time. And we thought at the time, what if they continue to go on for months? Could people mm. become locked down within yeah. yeah forget about lockdown externally yeah when yeah. they tell us to stay home like it happened in presuming california and uh, it happened in the uk france germany italy but what happens if we become locked in through these behaviors how do we get out of it yeah and one thing sandy to make a, a distinction the fear of the virus the anxiety surrounding the virus is normal we were supposed to fear the virus. It's yeah. new, it's lethal, etc. The problem with the syndrome, which is uh, the excessive checking, the worrying, the playing movies about what might go wrong, the listening to the news, the avoidance of public transport and of open spaces in case we catch the virus, the over-masking, the attention to other people's symptoms, these are all, all aspects of the syndrome. There are things we do. And these things we do will keep the fear alive. Even 
when the threat may be gone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and it, it's a real issue here, even with people. With I know people say, well, they probably were predisposed, and I want to ask you that because. Well, were they predisposed? Did they already have major anxiety issues and this triggered it more? And maybe so. But I have friends, I swear to you, Mark Antonio, yeah. they weren't like that. And this really messed them up. My one friend is a the therapist. She was driving to my house and for the first time we were having 10 people over just recently. It was outside. She said, she's been here a million times. She just kept driving in circles. She couldn't stop at my house. She yeah. was too nervous to come in. And she's not one to be like that. So I just would love to get your opinion on that. So you, the example you gave is really very powerful. Um, the data in the various studies we have undertaken, most of them are published and some are in the pipeline. One is coming out next week, a big one, looking at how our attention um, behaves in inverted commas if we have the syndrome what do we pay attention to we'll, we'll discuss it a little bit later if we have time but mm -hmm. returning to your question um, uh, there are many people who display the features of the COVID-19 anxiety syndrome who have no history of mental health problems yeah. um, we also know that the studies up until now have shown that those who are younger present with higher levels of the syndrome. This could be because they have high exposure to social media. It could be because they had massive breakdowns in social connections at a very important age in life, you know, between 6 and 25. Uh, so we know that younger people are more likely. We know mm. that those who've got a health condition are also more likely to have yeah. the syndrome. But previous history of mental health problems is not a predictor. So you, the example of your friend is really poignant. It's an individual who never really had any problems to do with anxiety, probably, who's been, in a way, affected by this pandemic-related phenomenon. So the combination Absolutely. of the virus the fear of the virus, probably with a mixture of lockdown and messaging, you know, sort of fear yeah. messaging, especially by the media over time, has probably raised the anxiety levels to, to a very sort of high threshold. And how is she coping? She's avoiding she's maybe worrying she's checking whether other people have symptoms and these things that she's doing inclusive of not stopping the car and coming in to see you will keep the fear alive yeah yeah well i was just having this big debate with someone and i said yes i understand what you're saying that a lot of people you believe are predisposed and this is just something he was saying this professor it was dormant in this and this triggered him but i started looking at that and that was like six months ago and i thought yeah i'm sure but the people that i see that were the most affected and i don't know if you studied them were a lot of people that didn't live in a house with lots of people so for example my friends that live alone i mean they were on lockdown for over a year here it affected them more. The ones that watched the news more. 
Yep. Uh, they didn't have even family and friends to, to go to. And, I, I, and Sandy, I think, again, you raise an important point. I still need to look at the, 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 the data that is coming through. And I've got data from the U.S. My first studies were actually done in the U.S. Oh. Yes, the first two studies, the, the actual development of the um, measure was undertaken on a U.S. population. But I've got new data coming in that compares China, the U.K., the U.S., Germany, Sweden, yeah. France, and uh, you, you'll be able uh, to see it soon. I, I will be sharing it with everyone who's interested. But uh, what I've noticed uh, also through interviews is what you're saying. So, for example, a lot of the elderly who are isolated on average, who have mm -hmm. less strong networks, who've been home alone, have been affected a lot. So we are now yeah. seeing individuals who've been double vaccinated, whether you believe that the vaccine works or not, etc., is another matter. But they've yeah, been... It's a whole other podcast. It's another, all, another podcast. But the, the people who've been double vaccinated who are aware that the herd immunity is very high in the country and who are still remaining at, at home. And if you ask them, what's going to make you come out? They, they can't answer. And mm -hmm. that, for me, that's very scary. Because if yes. you've been double vaccinated and the various alpha, gamma, delta variants are perfectly well dealt with by the immune system stroke the vaccine, when are you yeah. ever going to leave your house? Yeah. Yeah. That's going to take a one-on-one -on -one strong yeah. intervention. Yeah. It will take a one-on-one -on -one strong intervention for these groups of people. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I also, I'm extremely an extrovert. And it was driving me crazy that I didn't have human contact because I get my energy off people. So I figured out, okay, it's not the same. But I started doing a lot of live Zooms and podcasts, and I just, I knew because of my profession how to bob and weave. It still bothered me. But, I, I mean, that's how I get my energy. I love seeing people. So I started riding my bike outside, and I would just yeah. wave to people, to human contact. But my son, he, he's 18, and he seemed to be doing great, even though it was just the three of us in the house and all virtual school. And I said to him, Cole, are you all right? He goes, Mom. He's very much an introvert. He goes, I've trained for this my whole life, mom. <laughs> He's like, you people are in trouble. I'm good. And I don't know if you saw that, but he, he energizes with alone time. So he was less affected than my husband and I. Yeah. And um, there are links to personality. Yeah. And uh, indicatively, um, some personality traits may be protective. Um, not sure if extroversion, introversion, I think if I can remember off the top of my head, I think extroversion may be uh, protective. So even if mm. even if you are an extrovert, you might find ways to yeah, cope like with uh, <laughs> such a cycling. But yeah. I, we know that, for example, being higher on neuroticism, so that sort of trait anxiety has been uh, worse because people yeah. who are trait anxious are worse off. Uh, people who have been 
too open to experience or openness, one of the facets of personality, have tended to get into problems. Why? Because they might break the rules and end up being ill, etc., especially when the pandemic was at its peak. So I can see your son's position. An introverted, introverted individual yeah. will be able to cope far better with isolation and um, yeah. the, will not need, as you correctly pointed out, that sort of uh, dialectical interaction yeah. with others yeah. that uh, with, I'm Sandy, I'm like you, I'm, and I'm extroverted. I, I struggled to rely on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's why I Zoomed all around the world all yeah. night long, Mark. I just needed to see people. But here's the flip side. And we were thinking about this. And I'm right now, I, matter of fact, I need some words of wisdom because I'm calling my son's school. So here's these kids. And, you know, not all introverts, but isolated for over a year. Yeah. All virtual. And now he was required to go back to school this week because all the seniors do a senior program just it's they all do it and they're sitting in a room with a few kids and he said mom nobody talks to one another i go okay he goes if we say thank you because you held the door open he goes i remember that as my biggest communication now they're supposed to be working on projects which i get it every year they came back they work on these projects individually but i'm thinking you might have to shift the program and think about, you know, emotional and social learning because you can't put these kids in a room working on their individual pro projects, which they, they're not supposed to teamwork. They're not supposed to talk to one another. You're not dealing with the issue at hand that they don't even know how to say hi to one another after a year and a half. Yeah. And you know what, Sandy, it's hard enough for two extroverts like us who are a little bit older to say hi so I went out for a proper meal with a few people last week didn't know any of them and it took a good hour to do something with reasonable yeah. ease that would have taken me two or three minutes so if mm. we go down the age spectrum and we get to teenagers or people in their 20s almost a year of their life has been taken out um, a year, sorry, a year has been taken out that that's, would have heavily centered on socializing. Yeah. Imagine the students exactly at university, uh, how much socializing they've lost in their first, second and third year. Um, almost a year and a half of university in the UK has been lost. And so much, as I said, centers on socializing. So now they suddenly find themselves going back and they're not 30, 40, 50 years old and they've bought, sort of built a, a goodwill of social mm -hmm. skills. They don't have them or they do have them, but they're still developing. So it's going to be hard. We're going to have to be patient, help people reconnect in groups, especially yeah. younger people. So that includes primary and secondary school children. We now know that language de development may have been impaired in... Uh, sort of preschool children. Why? Because so much of language development centers on socializing and it's been taken away. 
and socializing yeah. on Zoom is not the same thing like you and I know. It's a proxy, no. but it's not the same thing. So you can see all that spectrum that goes from very young, I would say, to mid-twenties has been yeah. affected. Hence, they have some of the worst scores in terms of mental health. Mm, I know. So people who are in that 40 to 60 age bracket fare a lot better in terms of mental health during the pandemic. You know, do you have studies that you will be able to link? Or is there anything that you can send if my listeners are like, I would love to get a hold of that so I can take it to the schools that will show that age group? Yes, um, I have. And we'll link it. Yeah. And uh, I, so I'll send them to you. Okay, and, good. Uh, I mean, the age groups I go down to is 18, 18 year olds. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it will show, the research will show, and it's quite clearly written and accessible, that the younger you are, all the way down to 18, the worse it's been psychologically. Yeah, they, didn't, they haven't developed the skills, and they already are on social media, and <laughs> you isolated them. Exactly. Right? It, 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 it makes sense. But... I think the frustration, and I got so many, and the reason I'm addressing this, I have so many parents that wrote in and said, please ask Mark Antonio, we need some evidence. You know, they want some stats for the school because what they're seeing is just like what I'm seeing. Well, they go, well, this was, you know, an individual based program. And I'm like, I get it, but you got to look at what just happened to these kids. You might have to bob and weave and not care if you're spending so many hours on the math and science project and more time having them work together. Yes. And, do you know what I mean? Like, because if you just say, go up to Bob and talk to Bob, my son's like, uh, mom, what about? I have no reason to go up and say, hi, Bob. We don't do that. They don't even know how to have small talk. I think you need to give them a reason. Like, you're going to have to co-create on a project or something. I mean, yeah. you're going to have to just change it up a little bit. Yeah, I think uh, when it comes to education, and I'm sure we can find evidence to support this view, Good. we will need uh, to um, introduce a lot of more co-production and, and group-based work to get those social skills going again and yeah. to, to, to get them developing again. Uh, you know, in the UK, our, our university um, learning centers a lot around group work. And so these oh. these Zoom and Microsoft Teams sessions where everybody's been a little square and had virtual rooms of working together has, you know, been better than nothing, but does not even closely mimic reality. So we need to get young people back together, socializing at university, at school and doing as much work together as they yeah. can to to ensure that this one year lost even more in terms of social skills development yeah. is recouped it's recouped yeah. it needs to be recouped i want to make sure i get this young man's questioning because it's related he is what i always call him billy bob for fake names but he's 22 and he started a new job right out of college very outgoing kid he said never had an issue loves people but he went back into his office in the city and he couldn't do it. He started having a panic attack, like going in, cause it's a big office. I think it's like 2000 people. And he went to tell his boss and his boss said, stop making excuses. You just want to lie at home in your bed. And he 
I mean, I don't know this person, but he's like, I don't know what to do. I really don't. But I couldn't even get, I'm trying to read through it because it's really long. I couldn't even get on the elevator. My heart yeah. started pounding. What should I do? And how can I make them feel like I'm not just trying to be lazy and work from home in my bed? Well, basically, what's happened is that the gentleman has been asked by the government to isolate for a very long period of time over the last 12 to 15 months as we were asked to isolate in the UK. It does vary a little bit by American state. Um, and if you isolate for a prolonged period of time, especially at that very sensitive age that is 18 to 25. And he's 22. He's 22, exactly. You end up basically incubating agoraphobia. Um, what is agoraphobia? The fear of leaving home, the fear of open spaces. And mm -hmm. so what he describes going back to work, well, he hasn't probably been at work regularly for a year. Or yeah, this yeah. might be one of his first jobs. So it can become overwhelming. Why? Because it hasn't been done for a long time. And so what would be my advice? My advice would be to start by not expecting probably to go in every day because it's going to be a little bit hard at the beginning, but to start maybe one or two days a week. The easier days, it could be a Friday or a Thursday or it could be a Monday and a Wednesday. Maybe if it's difficult and the gentleman is taking public transport or is in traffic, choose to come in, for example, by car, uh, mm -hmm. choose to come in at times when it's a little bit more relaxing, so the baseline anxiety is lower, etc. Make these small adjustments yeah. like you would for an agoraphobic individual who's leaving the house after months or years that they've been stuck at home. It's the same type of reactions. Now, obviously, this young man has a history of having been okay in the past. So my, yeah. my feeling is if he, if he returns to normal, as we say here in the UK, in a graded way, and tries yeah. to go back to work, managing expectation, maybe slightly shorter days to begin with, it will reignite the old system and he will return. If he starts to be pathologized, what's wrong with you? It's a weakness. Have you developed clinical depression? Do you need medication? Yeah. Then we go down the pathologizing route. And that's what we want to avoid because this gentleman appears to have been perfectly fine before the pandemic event. Yeah. It's freaking him out. You can say it's like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I, I've never had a panic attack yet. Well, but is it normal to spend a year at home watching yeah. Netflix, not seeing our loved ones, wondering if something is going to happen to us and have a bombardment of fear messages from the news? Yeah. And by the way, he said his company um, required him to stay home for 15 months. They worked from home. They weren't even allowed in the building till now. Yeah. And so what does the company expect? That if you've ask people to be in a basically an agoraphobic state for 15 months, they're all going to readapt that quickly. No. Yeah. When I'm going to go to work quite regularly, probably from July, September, because I'm away in August for holiday, yeah. um, it's going to be weird even for me. And I've done yeah. it. And I've done it for 30 years. Yeah. God, I didn't even think of that. You're right. My you memory bank of anxiety and experience is very extensive of dealing with anxieties. His is 30 years less 
yeah. uh, uh, sort of extensive or, or less deep than mine. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, you're right. Yep, he doesn't have that to play with and, f and fall back on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I can say to myself, okay, when I was 25, I struggled a bit, but I've been at work and I did X and Y and Z, and it's going to take me a week and these thoughts will come and go, but I'm 50 years old. He's yeah. 22. Yeah. yeah. It's so true. And I'm so glad that you said the age group is six to 25 because I didn't even think, I didn't even think of that. I thought it would have been older, but it makes sense. In all our studies, the younger you are, the more you struggle with the mm -hmm. syndrome, with the attention, the avoidance, the worry, the checking, the gentleman is an example of the avoidance. His is a mixture maybe of fearing the virus or possibly not even fearing the virus, having become a little bit agoraphobic. But fundamentally, in all our studies, even in the most recent one that I've analyzed data today, uh, being a student is, yeah. i.e. So, being younger, is linked to more, more features of the syndrome. Yeah. Well, this young lady wrote in, she's an HR person for a big company, and she's about to get pr approval for them to do some type of coaching in the company for people and to bring people in-house, which I think is awesome. Yep, I agree. You know, to have something there. And I don't know, won't, would insurance companies cover this, you think, if they needed to go to a therapist or a psychiatrist? That's another <clears throat> very, very good question, Sandy, because up until now we've had quite clear categories for psychological problems, usually um, sort of uh, managed and addressed by private insurers or even by public um, health providers like in England, the National Health Service. You know, we've had obsessive compulsive disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, agoraphobia. But as I've heard from many practitioners in the field, from many psychological therapists, there are quite a few people coming up with this syndrome that doesn't have a classification i.e. it's not part yeah. of the system you don't you're not quite OCD you're not quite PTSD you're not quite depressed and so it becomes harder because somebody's gonna have to give you a label even if you don't really in inverted commas merit that label um, so I would really struggle with this 22, 22 year old gentleman obviously I don't know the details but saying oh yeah. he's depressed or agoraphobic I would feel much more comfortable saying He's got a pandemic-related momentary phase in his life. Yeah. 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 That needs support. And how do you call that? Okay? Because the syndrome we've identified is pandemic-related. So it's not in the clinical textbooks. It's going to be difficult. Yeah. You're right. I'm already thinking of me. I hardly ever have to deal with insurance companies, but I'm already thinking of what category you're going to put me in so I can get this covered. To say, if we work with insurance companies, as I do with my clients, we're going to have I to do. give it a label, you know, uh, depression. But in reality, we shouldn't. We should yeah. say this is almost a sort of a residue of the pandemic and we need the person to reintegrate and return to normal. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, somebody, oh my goodness, this is such a great question. And I didn't even think about this. They want to know what led you to get into this field of addictive behaviors and mental health? Like, why did you choose this area? I, I chose, addictive behaviors chose me. 
I wanted mm. to I wanted to study anxiety problems and look look what's happened. I ended up doing research on COVID anxiety eventually later yeah. in my career, but it it it, it opened up uh, this field of addictions opened up for me in so many different ways that I felt I had to follow these openings and I did a lot of research on addictions addictive behaviors over the last 20 years and I've made significant contributions to the field um, and then this came along the pandemic came along and I thought with Professor Anna Nikshevich at Kingston University well we've got to do something here yeah because we wouldn't want all these people inclusive of some of us or our friends to be labeled with a psychiatric disorder when in reality they were perfectly fine, like the friend you mentioned, Sandy, earlier on, but they've been sort of traumatized or stuck in a yeah. state. And so I applied all my knowledge of mental health and addictions, but especially of mental health, but all these ideas cross-fertilize, they're all part of the same family of ideas, to try to understand what was going on with the avoidance, with the worry, with the tracking, with, with yeah, the attention yeah. to threat. Yeah. And here's the thing. I'm so, I cannot wait. By the way, we're bumping this up. Usually we don't air things for two to three months, but we're bumping it up because I have so many friends and it makes me so sad that are embarrassed. Like, come on, I should be over this. What's wrong with me? Da, 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 I know this. And I'm trying to say, okay, it's, I don't think it's that easy. You know, it's okay. I think they're more upset, especially the ones that never dealt with it before. Yeah, we're all a bit embarrassed about the mental state in which we've been reduced. Um, I would like to say by the pandemic, but in reality, more than the pandemic, by how the whole thing has been managed. And I don't want to attribute, uh, you know, guilt to governments or media. It was difficult yeah. to deal with. It was uncertain and never really happened before. Uh, or when it did in the late 50s, late 60s and in the Spanish flu. There wasn't so much travel and there wasn't so much attention. Um, That's true. And so I can understand why people in government and in media panicked, etc. But we are all on this continuum of psychological distress. We have all been affected. Yeah. All our lives have changed. Hence, now, more than ever, we have to be very patient with, with, patient with each other and be uh, not, not gaslighting individuals, not being sort of standard bearers of the right way, you know, <laughs> not asking too many questions about whether you are vaccinated or not. Uh, we have to really be very patient, return to the old values that we had, being together, having fun, and also be very compassionate towards ourselves because we're going to have a lot of weird thoughts and mental states for yeah. months and probably years to come but they're normal yeah because yeah. we've gone through something very abnormal yeah what i don't i was just upset the other day i went into the coffee house and you know ours right here it says you can choose to wear a mask or not if it on if you have had both vaccinations what i don't like seeing is people smirking at others because they still want to wear the mask that bothers me you know that is exactly like, be empathetic you don't know their situation exactly a uh, we don't know the situation b it's part of this compassion and it goes both ways 
So I don't wear a mask now. I don't particularly believe in the data suggesting that it's protective. Still, the data is, is, is open to question, but I think we have a good idea that it, it pro maybe protects you, it may protect you a little, but it's not my area, so I'm not gonna go into yeah, more than yeah. that. I know it makes people feel good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I don't wear it, but I don't wanna judge people who do wear it, and I don't want them to judge me if we are in this environment where we're trying to rebuild. So if a colleague of mine you know, goes back home from work and we take the train together and they want to wear a mask, so be it. Yeah, what do you care, right? Exactly. Care. And what counts a lot more is us getting closer again. And then yeah. eventually, if things get better, he or she might remove the mask. I might have a period in October, November, and we've got bad weather here, autumn comes, where I might think, well, lots of people are coughing, maybe I feel a little bit iffy, and I'll yeah, wear yeah. it. Yeah. You yeah, see? Yeah. So let's yeah. respect other people's choices and ensure that you know we are patient and humane yeah. in, in, the, in the support that we need to give each other. You know, there are going to be the ones that don't wear a mask, but they're still checking whether you're coughing, whether they're pale, whether she sneezed. And still, that's an example of the syndrome. It's the attention to threat. So again, yeah. maybe we need to reassure people and say, it's okay, you know, everyone sneezes. It doesn't mean it's COVID or another yeah, virus. Yeah, yeah. You know, you've been vaccinated. We all know you've been vaccinated. Uh, everyone else here more or less has been vaccinated. You should be okay. Remember the infection to fatality rate. It's very, very low. You're young. Let's, yeah. let's have another beer. <laughs> yeah. Relax them and have compassion. I like that. Yeah. Relax them. All right, so I see one of your points here. Will it dissipate over time? Will the COVID-19 anxiety syndrome just dissipate? I think that assuming we return to a degree of normality that we appear to be returning to, I think that for eight people out of 10, maybe even nine out of 10, it will dissipate it will be Ooh. on a range so for some it will dissipate quickly for others it will dissipate but more slowly and we think there could be maybe one person in ten who's stuck and that being stuck is problematic because the anxiety yeah. syndrome that is pandemic related could then ev eventually morph into other disorders uh, like we talked about the gentleman earlier it might morph into yeah, some form of agoraphobia or obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm thinking of very young children who've been scared and they overclean yeah. and overcheck. Well, that's a royal road to obsessive compulsive disorder. So one out of 10 doesn't seem a large number. But if you think about it in terms of millions of people in the UK or in the US, it could be quite a large number of people that will need, again, some form of support. Is it the elderly couple that haven't gone out for two years? Is it the young person that refuses to go to university in case they are the one person that gets the virus even if they're vaccinated and they die? You know, the, the, the extremes yeah. are going to be the people that will need to support. 
You know, I want to make sure I get this. There's so many questions we're not going to get to. And so for anyone who's listening, uh, I'll give you all his information and all the research so you can look up more. But this mom said her daughter, she doesn't know why, but she's eight and she's scared to death of dying and won't take her mask off. Meantime, the whole family has gotten vaccinated. What can she say to her? What direction? Where can she go for her eight-year-old daughter? Again, Sandy, this is a another salient example in a way of the COVID anxiety syndrome. The mask wasn't even a concept in the child's head age seven. And now it's become uh, widely uh, available, widely flaunted by people, widely recommended by government, widely um, recommended by media. So it sounds as though this young person has basically become very fearful and remember that fear can can be acquired in so many different ways it's not only through conditioning by being in a fearful situation for example by being in hospital with kobe and being very ill it can also yeah. uh, fear can be acquired through information so Imagine a seven-year-old that hears all these discussions about dying and death and hears some news and then finds solace in a mask because it appears yeah. that by wearing the mask, everything continues to be okay when it might not have to do anything. Sorry, it might not have anything to do with the mask. It's simply yeah. that the virus has retracted, but the child will continue to believe that if they wear a mask and they clean their hands, they'll be protected. And so here is where we go down the behavioral route, assuming that there is safety, assuming that the pandemic has retracted and we know children have a very, very small risk with COVID. I mean, it's so small that it's yeah. invisible almost. Then at that point, the child should be gradually helped to let go of the mask, let go of the seeking reassurance for parents, let go of the cleaning of the hands in the next few months before that behavior becomes entrenched. Mm. Yeah, and she, she's trying to be patient. She said she, the mom said she, just take it off, take it off. She, her husband's like, that's not going to work, yelling at the kid. It's just not going to work. You're going to make her more upset, you know? you know? It's, for example, a negotiation where you say to, to the child, okay, you can keep it all day long in closed spaces, but when we're outside, we're going to take it off and we're going to look at whether people around us are wearing it. So it's what we call monitoring for safety rather than threat. And at that point, Ooh, the, I like that. at that point, the child might start thinking, oh, outside, there are not that many people left and so on and having a good time and meeting people. And then a process of generalization will start where the child, because the mind is very, very, very fluid at that age might start yeah. putting two and two together and saying, well, they're not other people wearing it in class anymore and et cetera, et cetera. And then the child gets out of it quickly, obviously much harder for a 40 or 50 year old to do, but can be done at every, any age. Yeah. Yeah. This has been so great. It's answered so many questions and so many questions of my listeners. I just want to make sure, I think we already answered this, but is there anything else you can think of that we can do to overcome the COVID-19 anxiety syndrome? Yeah, we need to get together. We need to spend time together in 
for real. Okay, now I'm not saying that Zoom and Microsoft Teams are a figment of our imagination. Uh, they, they are real on one plane, but on another plane, they're not because we're not hugging, uh, sort of embracing, looking at each other in the eye, eyes. We need to return to being physically together. And I advocate that considering the data, considering the fact that vaccination levels are high and that this is a coronavirus, so should eventually come to an end and mutate itself out of existence, basically. That's what a lot of biologists will argue. Assuming that now we're at a very different moment from January, February, March 2020, then we should be with others without safety, i.e. close to them. Maybe not yeah. wearing the mask, holding their hand and not touching the elbow, you know. Uh, we should do that because that's the only way we're going to disprove the thought, the fear that it's dangerous. By doing yeah. what we used to do, we will kill the fear. Yeah, yeah, I love it. How can they reach you? How can they find you? We will make sure we include all the links to everything you've done, but tell us everything. Where are you? So Twitter is a platform that I have learned to use a lot over the last oh. year. I'm now connected to you. You still have to connect with me, but it will happen soon. And okay, I'll make sure. Go ahead. And it's at Prof Spada, P-R-O-F-S-P-A-D-A, -A, Spada, mm -hmm. at Prof Spada is my Twitter base. Um, I share a lot of information. You'll also find on uh, at Prof Spada, you will also find useful material that I've shared to help make sense about what COVID-19 anxiety syndrome is some tips to overcome it. There are also lots of uh, recordings with radio stations and TV stations and interviews that will uh, nicely supplant what we've done today. Today we've, we've okay. had lots of questions from also the audience that you relayed to me. So it's been very interesting. Uh, some of the other videos are you know journalists asking me more about the data etc percentages prevalence um so at prof spada is the best way to get uh information um about the covid 19 anxiety syndrome and developments and research this week i'll be posting the article that i mentioned that looks at how our anxiety has become locked onto threat and how we can unlock it. I will give some tips. Um, and also, if you put my name, Marcantonio Spada, on the internet, you'll find my email address at university. You can always pop an email. And assuming I'm not completely overwhelmed, yeah. <laughs> uh, I will answer most emails, if not all emails, because I want to ensure that we're, we're supporting each other. I know I have knowledge yeah. that can help. And if we don't do it now, in this crisis, you know, when are we going to do it? In day-to-day -day yeah. life, we might need it less. Now is the moment to help each other as, as much as we can in our local communities, with our friends, and to be patient. Yeah, I agree. All right, before we go, though, we have a little fun stuff for rapid fire for them to get to know you. Ready? Here we go. What's your favorite color? Blue. Ooh. Favorite food? 
<laughs> asking an Italian. Um, <laughs> I've heard weird things. You never know. Pasta. Pasta. Okay, it was okay. difficult, Sandy, to choose between pasta and, pe <laughs> pasta and pizza. I just had somebody from Italy tell me their favorite food was taco. So there you go. <laughs> you never know. All right. What would one of your favorite days look like? What would you do from morning to night if you could do anything? It would be spending time with my family mm. at the sea, seaside, in the Mediterranean, mm. swimming and enjoying a tranquil day. I guess I haven't been on a holiday for a long time, Sandy. Yeah, yeah. I know. Everyone's saying that because they, they haven't <laughs> been away. They're like, I just want to hang with my family on the beach or the mountains. Like, that's it. We're, we're good. Okay, hobbies. What do you like doing in your free time? I've learned to ski over the last four years, which was a traumatizing experience. I think I can use that term. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I enjoy, I enjoy reading about history, biographies of mm. prominent people in history. These are my main interest and, and, and sport. So any sport I'm interested in, big football, soccer, sorry, Sandy, soccer. Yeah, that's okay. Fanatic. So these are the things I like to do. Okay. When I last thing, when I say the word universe, what does it mean to you? Loved ones. Ooh, I like that one. Loved ones. All right, my let's keep it real people. I know you're going to tell me. Mark Antonio kept it real, and as always, share, like, support us. We really, really appreciate it. And you know what I'm going to say. Until next time, toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.